I'm sorry for what you're going through as parents and as grandparents. It's very painful. And that's the first thing we need to understand. That Rashi says that Avram Avinu died by Seva Teva. And what does Seva Teva mean? He died five years earlier not to see his grandson, his grandson Esav, go off the derech. So when a parent or even a grandparent has to deal with children who are struggling with Yiddishkeit, it's, it's worse than death. It's very, very painful. No question about it. And I'm sorry for the pain that you're going through. And um, what we need to focus on is what, what is the Mahalach that's going to work, hopefully, give him a chance to come back to being healthy and stable and from. And uh, first of all, we have a source of the Chazanish that they asked the Chazanish, what should the relationship be between family and the child who goes off the derech? And he said very clear, try to pull them in with ropes of love. Don't push them away. So according to the Chazanish, the medicine is ropes of love and not rejection. So anything that's going to cause them to shrink away is a no-no. Anything that's going to cause a bond, a sahava, fun, gifts, that creates a sahava. And who determines what, what causes rejection and what causes closeness? The patient. If the patient, when you say, how are you, he, he, he talks to you, that, that's a good question. If you say, how's school, which is their total failures in school, I don't blame them for not wanting to talk about it, but you learn for next time. Oh, that's something to store a subject. If you, God forbid, lose your job and you get fired and you're struggling with Parnassah, you don't want your father, grandfather to say, no, how are you making a living? Because that's your store point. So you have to look for their good points and buy them gifts and do anything that you possibly can to give them the medicine that can work, whether it's in two years or five years or ten years, and that's only Avaisa Sahava. Otherwise, all the discussions in the world uh, they don't help, and all of the rules don't help. Nothing helps. The Chazanish said the medicine is one one medicine. Then the Baal Shem Tev, an earlier source, it's brought down that somebody said that his children went l'tar b'sra u'lukfira. They're atheists. What should we do? The Baal Shem Tev did not say that tell him when he comes to your house he should be respectful of your rules. He didn't say he should have consequences or he should be expected to put on pants when he walks around the house. He didn't say anything. He said the medicine is love. He said should be marba ahava lehoiv oisam And what was the result? So whether it's Litvish, Hasidish, Svardish, the Rechaim HaKadosh says the same thing. Gershon Edelstein says the same thing. Ravam Pam, the Shashiv of Tarevadah, said the same thing. You won't find any source in any history of anybody that says anything about that, that you will achieve your goal, which is that he should want to wear a yarmulke, by anything other than love, and fun, and connection, and patience, and trila, and staka, and to create an environment that he feels comfortable being who he is. Once he has to dress up to please you, 
then it's not a real relationship. As you know, there is no real relationship if I have to dress up for you to like me. And therefore, it's counterproductive in my experience and in my knowledge of sources. I've never seen it to tell a child that when you come to my house, you should put on a yarmulke. It's true that that's what everyone does. It's also true that everyone is failing miserably and the results are not good with that method because it just is rechuk. It's rechuk, it's rechuk, it's rechuk. When the child feels close, he's going to put on a yarmulke. We don't want him to put on a yarmulke now. We want him to want to wear a yarmulke. We don't, we're not going to ask him, did you put on tefillin? Or I'll please put on tefillin. I'll pay you to put on tefillin. We understand that we have to heal the, the part that is corrupt, that is fadarbin, that is broken, and the medicine is in your heart. Tremendous ava, not normal ahava, because normal ahava is for normal kids. He needs chemo ahava. He needs doses of, of special ahava to fight the corruption that's inside of him, as the Nesiva Shalom brings out that when you see a child who's acting morally corrupt and is engaging in sin, you have to be unlimited. You can spoil him like crazy and spend all your money on him to try to save him. And that's really beautiful Arachayim HaKadosh that says such a beautiful chat, really tachlis, because we know that Yitzchak was going to give all the brachas to Esau. Who gives all of their inheritance to one kid? He had two kids, Yaakov and Esau. If anything, Yaakov should get more. Or you split 50-50. But who gives all of their inheritance to Esau, to one, to one kid? And especially that kid, which says that he knew that he wasn't Esau. He knew Esau was not the, the right, the good kid. So why do you give all the inheritance to one kid? Says the Archaim Akadish that Ace that Yitzchak knew he was gonna die. And Yitzchak was always Makarvasov. Always. He kept him home even though he was smoking Avadazara and the smoke in, in the house, he didn't tell him don't smoke in the house. He brought home Shiksis, he didn't tell him don't bring home Shiksis. Yitzchak Avinu, Minisagvura, Yitzchak was a Navi, knew exactly what's happening. He was Makarafim and he was Makarafis, Sadarbana, rotten children, he was Makarav Alifaz. Eliphaz raped his father's wives. He raped Esav's wives. He, he was a rapist, a murderer, and, and he was That's why he didn't kill Yaakov. He kept him close. And his whole life, he's, he's trying, till he dies, to be a of Esav. Now he's going to die. He thinks to himself, okay, Yaakov's going to build Kuala Yisrael, as he did. What's going to be with Esav? What can I do to save this, this, this person and all the diaries? Because if Esav would have been from, Kuala Yisrael would be today twice as big, much more than twice as big, because we've been murdered all the years by, by children of Esav. There would be no Amalek. Amalek was an, a grandchild of Esav. There would be no Spanish Inquisition. I don't know whose who, who descendants murdered us, but Kuala Yisrael would be 10, 20 times as big. So he says, you know what? I need, there's only one way. There's only one way that he's going to turn around and be good. He needs to know that I mamish love him. He needs to know. This was the whole business of Kitsai the Piz. He's, he's an Eilat Tamima, and he's interested in barbecue steak from, from Esau. The Ramban already says, the Ramban Zerishin says that he only asked him for barbecue steak, which he had no time, he had no interest in, because he had to find some commonality with this guy. 
because Yaakov was able to come in and learn, learn, learn Baba Kama. He was able to chap a shmuz with him. Yaakov was a mensch. He was a, he was a, he was a Yaakov. And Esav, the grub kind, this grub Yanchik over here, murderer and, and, and Ishtai, he didn't know how am I going to save this guy. But he wouldn't turn his back on him. He said, what is he like? Oh, he's a hunter. Come here, Shefla. I'm only eating your food. Because then he had a constant contact with him. What's, what's the supper tomorrow night? Ooh, the ribs last night were great. How about tomorrow night? Duck? Oh, fantastic. You know what? Come tomorrow by lunch, and I'll tell you what I'm in the mood of for supper. Wow, it's delicious. Come and invite your friends over. Oh, you're so... And he used it. And for Yaakov Avinu, for him to, to, to eat food and care about food is so distant, more than us doing anything, going to a ball game, going to a movie, going to... I mean, how could you compare? And he dug into it and, and loved it. And why? The Ramban says, commonality. Didn't talk to him about Torah. He couldn't. He wasn't up to that. He didn't ask him to dress up. He just found a way that this kid has an interest. You're a mechanic. Build me a car. Fix my car. I'll buy an old car. You do it. What is, what, how can I connect to this person? Because it's all about connection and nothing else. So the Archaim HaKudosh says, beautifully, he says that he knew that he's going to die. And Esav is lost forever. He says, maybe... I have one way that he'll be able to turn around. What's that? If he knows that I love him, if he knows I am crazy about him, then maybe he'll do chula, because that's the only medicine. So how am I going to prove to him that I'm crazy about him? If that's the medicine, I'm going to give it to him. What is the medicine? Money. I'm gonna, but when I die, he's going to open up the Arusha. He's going to say, wow, I got all the money? Tati really loved me. It's unbelievable. I, I, it's crazy. I, I, and then he's going to say Kaddish for me. And then maybe he'll, he'll be interested in Yiddishkeit. So if your child, let's say you have two children, and one child is healthy and the other one is dying from Nabuch cancer, Rahman al-Islan, and they tell you that the only way to go ahead and to, to save his life is to pay a lot of money. So how much money do you give? What do you mean? You give all the money. There's nobody that's going to say, oh, I have to see, save some money. I have $10 million. Let me save a million for my healthy kid and $9 million for this. You know, but, the, but we need $10 million. The more money we have, the more chances we, your kid could live. No, no, no. It's not fair. Nobody's going to say that. If it was a physical illness that's killing a child, you take all your money to save it. And you tell the other child, I'm really sorry. I can't leave you over anything because you're alive and you're healthy and you're going to have to take care of yourself. But your brother's dying. So all the money is going to your brother. Allah has kama the kama that we're not just talking about physical. We're talking about not just olam hazeh, olam haba, eternity. So he said, if the, if the only way that I can get him back is with money, is with love, I'm going to give him everything, every penny. Says Arachai Mekadosh, the reason that Yitzchak wanted to give Esau all the money is he should realize how much he means to him. If he realizes how much he means, then maybe he'll do tshuva. And says the Arachayim Kaddish, the Efsher Shehayimayil, and it might have worked. We'll never know, because Yaakov stole the brachas. So as grandparents, as parents, you take all your resources, and you focus on the sick children, because if you save them, you save their children, and their enikloch, and all the diaries, that are going to come out of them. And the only medicine in the world that is successful is love and connection and spoiling, and you use any drop of resource, jokes, comedy, baking, cookies, money, car, whatever you have, whatever it is that you have, you use it to save their life. 
because whether it's the Litzka Shavelt, the Hasidic Shavelt, the Torah is one, and all it says is one thing, love, love, love. And the family that went to Bianca Lipshavarsk, a big tzaddik from Antwerpen, and they said, we have a son, he's off the derech, Machal Shabbos, eating treif, and he said, you give him love? They said, yes, Rebbe, we give him love. He said, you give him money? Yes, Rebbe, we give him money. And then the mother started crying. We give him more money than we even have. We borrow money to give him. And you know how he, he returns the favor? He brought home a shiksa into our house. Maybe Ankula said to them, you give him more love and you give him more money. This is the medicine. And if the medicine doesn't work, you increase the dose. There's no other medicine. He didn't say, oh, you tried. Okay, write him off. There's no writing off. And the proof is the end of the story that after a couple of years, he did turn around. And he became Hasidish. And he went back to his roots in Satmar. And he has children and Enikluch, a family, a huge family of Erlich Adairis. So Erlich and so stable that his daughter today is a teacher in Satmar. Imagine how Hasidish and stable she needs to be. This guy who had a shiksa in his parents' house, he, he was doing, you know what, you do with a shiksa with, because of Mer Liebe and Mer Gelt, because they were instructed that the medicine is more love and more money, and when that doesn't work, that means you increase the dose. They're the ones who are laughing, because that's the nachas that they got, whereas most other people in the world would say not like that but they wouldn't have the result necessarily that the Torah shows us over and over and over again from Chazanish, from Mepshem Shempinkis, from Abram Yaakov Pam, the Rosh Hashiva of Tarevidah, that's clear, and from our experience, from my experience, you get nothing from Rechuk, you get nothing from rules, he'll stay by you for a month, a year, two years, he'll dress up for you, it means nothing. You're not getting to the panemius of the person as long as the relationship means that you have to dress up for me. As you well know, I'm sure if you have a good friend and he tells you when you come to my house, I need you to put on a, a strimal, okay, you're an adult, you'll do it, but you're not going to go there. But what's, you don't like me? I have, to, I have to be you? I'm not good enough the way I am? It's the total opposite of Kirov. It's the total opposite of, of any tool that's ever been able to work. And we in Kalisrael have been Makarov, people who grew up fry, thousands and thousands of people. And it's only been with a smile. It's only been with, are you in the mood of coming? And if they come and they don't know something or they're not ready for it, you're not allowed to tell them to do it. You're not allowed to give muster. You're not allowed to tell them you have to keep Shabbos. You're not allowed to. They have to go slow and steady and you need to have a paisik. But it's only with that rabbinical glow and that beautiful smile and good food and no criticism. No criticism at all. And especially... That's somebody who, who could handle criticism because he's a healthy person. The guy who grew up not from could be a healthy person, but these kids are not healthy. And the guy who grew up um, not religious, I mean, that guy who grew up not religious, he, he, he might be very healthy, so you can give him criticism, and he won't take it personally, and he won't feel rejected, so you can get away with a little bit of, you know, could you please do this, or do you mind doing that? But a child whose parents or grandparents say, can you dress up like someone else when you come here? Or can you, can you do this? Or how come you do this? Or prying and all of that. It's not a stranger that could just handle it or just decide not to come back or just to, it's not an emotional relationship. But will you, whatever you say is very emotional. If you make him feel like he's a loser, which they are, 
or they're not good enough, which they, they're not good enough right now, then you're breaking them. You're not going to accomplish your goal to see them, to get out of this rut of darkness. You're not going to see them see the light. You have to shine light on darkness. Only Martin Luther King said that dark cannot chase away darkness. Only light can do that. And you've got to smile and give them some light in their life. You have to be the people he can turn to to feel relaxed and comfortable around without being judged and having to defend themselves. It's a lot of brain work. When you drop out of law school and then you meet your family at a Hanukkah party and you say, oh, how's law school? I'd rather not go to the Hanukkah party. I have to go explain how law school. Well, I'm not. How's your job? Oh, I'm out of job now. You can't ask them. They're losers. They're right now total, complete failures. But in order to rebuild them, so in five years from now, in 10 years from now, whenever it is that they're strong enough to be successful, they have potential, but they have broken legs. And we want them to go on the treadmill of life. It can't be one day before they're ready to do so. And we can't say, come on the treadmill, when a kid has a broken ankle or twisted ankle, and you say, come, you'll like it. No, they don't like it. It really, they really don't want to go on that treadmill. If Tyra and Davening and Brachus and Yamaka is hurting them, the worst thing you can do is ask them to do it, even if they agree, because it makes it disgusting. You know, if you ever had, I once threw up and I got sick from turkey roll that was spoiled. If the next day, if you ask me to have turkey roll, you're pushing off the day to come that I want turkey roll. I need to go a year without turkey roll, two years without, and then I could think about it, the smell won't bother me. They need a vacation, a break, until they have gaguim, until they have proper gaguim, and they'll say, like they all do, Bezus Hashem, I want to go to shul, or I want to wear yamka. Not because of you, because you have to understand, we tell them, you're not being disrespectful. You're not being respectful if you don't put on a yarmulke for us, and that's wrong. Why? First of all, they're respectful kids, so let's not prove to them that they're disrespectful. Also, because that puts into their mind, okay, so I'm a nobody. I'm a disrespectful person. They know that they don't want to do it, and if we interpret that as that's criticism and negativity, it just doesn't work. But we look at it that if you're respecting me, you'll dress up like me. It's not, that's not what respect is. If you respect them, so you should dress like them? No. You should take off your yarmulke? No. You respect them means that they should be them. They respect you means that you should be you. It's not, you know, people get confused. They say, well, even if you go to a restaurant, there's rules. Yeah, you, a restaurant, you have a choice if you're going to go to or not. And you're going to go, even if you're going to decide to go, you're going to go once a month, once a year, once a week. But home, family, cannot have those rules. It's not a place you go to visit. It's a place that you want to exist. We, we don't want to lose these kids. We have today thousands of kids who are lost, who are marrying out of the faith because people told them they have to be uncomfortable in order to be around them, and it drives them away. I just had today a phone call where somebody not, who, who's not coming to me called me up and said that they were doing care of and being nice to a girl who lives in their neighborhood is off the derech. And they're really nice to her. And re recently, they realized she doesn't come by so often. So, so they, they said, what, why did she stop coming by? And they realized, you know, when she used to come in the beginning, we said, listen, we want you to come, but we want you to wear a skirt. And she was okay with it. And then she fell in her life, in her ruchnius, but also just she went through a hard time. 
And she just didn't want to dress up anymore. So they called her and they said to her, we noticed you haven't been coming around so much. She said, well, I'll be honest with you, I, I enjoy it, but I just don't feel so comfortable. And they realized that by making that rule, they lost the patient. So the rules are not supposed to lose patients. We don't know. These kids are so messed up. To put on pants, to dress normal, to conform, to tzushtel, to tzishtel, anything normal that for us is easy to do, for them, it's just so hard. And therefore, my way of trying to live according to the Balshantav and the Chazan is to achieve those goals. And again, I don't care how you do it, but, but that's the goal. That's, that's the medicine. So if you could find another way, I find the other ways don't work on these kids because these kids in this dar, it doesn't work to tell them, we love you, but, but put on pants. We love you, but get a job. We love you, but keep Shabbos. We love you, but don't, don't smoke in the house. We love you, but all the we love you, but kids are on the street and are gone. And in and my group of people, Baruch Hashem, we don't have one suicide. And I'm dealing with 300 serious cases. And we don't have one kid who we have to call the police and chutzpah and screaming and fighting and cursing. Before me, before parents came to me, psych wards and pulling out knives and, and going to, and, and after they come to me, calm. We're not here to judge you. They're down and out. You, if you, even if you did all of your efforts to pull them up, they'll go from minus 100 to minus 95. But that's not going to work. You're not, you can't change their right now not functioning properly. They're hurt. And probably, have they done, it's called Adam Lekavskos, probably they have a right to fall apart. Probably they can't function. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And if we want them to one day want to be like us, we have to go into Kirov mode. And a lot of patience. It's not going to be two weeks or three weeks. It could be two years or five years. A lot of patience to show them through their darkness and their pain and their confusion that we're with you. We're with you. We love you. We admire you. We see your qualities. One of them is in public school, Nebuch. The other one is they don't keep Shabbos, Nebuch. Nebuch, how do you treat it? With medicine. What's the medicine? Admiration and love and boosting the self-esteem. And the closer that they are in the family, being comfortable the way that they are, the closer they are to you. Anything that you realize after you say it or after you do it, they're closer to you, is good. Anything that you realize that after you say it or closer, that, they, that they're one step away, further away, is asr lahalacha, you're over lufne either. Gershon Edelstein said that these kids, it's been proven, he's a Rosh Hashiva of Panavish, he's a leader of the entire literature world, and he said that it's proven that Kirov works and Rechuk doesn't work. And when you do Rechuk, they get worse and they do more Averis. And any drop of Rechuk of pushing away, of rejection that we do, that causes the child to get worse, all the sin is on the person who did the rejection. Because it's listening, you're pushing them away. And rejection doesn't mean that I tell you, get out of here. If I make you feel uncomfortable, if I if I make you not want to call me, I make you not want to be around me. Not only, and it's not only the rejection that we give them that makes them worse, but we're giving up on the opportunity of giving the medicine, of of the positive, of calling him and saying I miss you, I love you, and and sending him money, and buying them and send them a nice sweater for Hanukkah, and connecting them to roots. These kids don't have proper roots. 
We got to give them roots that they're part of a Messiah, they're part of a legacy, they're part of a Shalshal Sakhaydish, that they have a father who loves them, they have a mother who loves them, and grandparents on each side are crazy about them, whether they're wearing a yarmulke or not, whether they're wearing pants or not, whether they're from or not. Because the worse that they are, the more they need this oxygen, this oxygen of love and admiration. The good kids that we love to give it to, and it's so natural. Um, guess what? They don't really need it so much. They're machaya to look at. They give us lots of nachas. We say, oh, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, it feels good for them, but <laughs> they're successful. It's the losers that need it as oxygen. It's, they can't live. And we're trying to save them from drugs. We're trying to save them from, from suicidal thoughts. We're trying to save them from marrying out of the faith. We're trying to save them from, from everything. The whole evil, corrupt world is open in front of them. And they're young and stupid. I really don't think I could do any better than they're doing. I think I would be, once you're disconnected from Claudio, they could be much worse than they are. They're good kids. They're nice kids. They're sweet. They're not trying to hurt anybody. And they need to be saved. We need to attach and use skills and buy skills and learn skills to dig our teeth into these kids to keep them close. At their, whatever they like. They like a ball game, take them to a ball game. It's not about you liking the ball game and enjoying it. This is a life-saving Hatzala call, Hatzala Snefashis. Any Pisic who knows what these kids are going to will tell you that I'm right. Shmuel Birnbaum writes that in America there's a machla called depression. And he says, V'nireh shemuter l'chaul Shabbos b'avur misha soivel m'machla zu. It says, sounds like someone who's suffering from depression. It appears to me, for someone who has minor depression, someone who doesn't feel exalted, who knows where it's going to come. A guy can just all of a sudden one day wake up and throw himself off a bridge. As we've seen last year, that we buried in Klal Yisrael, 90 Jewish kids who died from overdose and suicide, and the overdoses wanted to die anyway. And so many hundreds of others who tried there's a girl sitting now that she threw herself off of a 15-story building, and somehow, in a miracle, she survived, and they amputated her leg. There's hundreds of kids who wanted to die and, and tried to kill themselves. I, I spoke to a kid. He over, overdosed at night. He took all the pills that he had. He fell asleep. And he said, the next morning, he said, I don't know. I woke up. So I took a shower and I went to work. But he wants to die. And so many kids, and so much pain in this door, so much pain and pain and pain and loser feeling of broken self-esteem. And that's what we're up against. And the medicine is fun and spoiling and love, and that reattaches them to a world that they could, they shouldn't feel, that life is not worth living. And if they're healthy, then yismach leiv, when the heart is happy, God willing, it'll be they'll know how to come back. And they'll know, and their journey is going to be their journey, and they're going to prove to us how strong they are, and they're going to have to get themselves out. Forget about how they got into this mess, but how do you get out of this mess? Only with a tremendous support system of no questions and lots and lots of love and great stuff. I just want to end with a story that I was working with a boy who told me that he was 22 years old. He's a big, tough guy. He ended up in the Israeli army, like 250 pounds and like six foot two. And he was a grandson of one of the G'dayle Hadar, still today, one of the oldest G'daylem of the, of the generation. And he told me that for nine years, he's Mechal Shabbos and eating on Yom Kippur. 
since he's 13, since his bar mitzvah, nine years. He's now 22, and he was Mechal Shabbos and eating on Yom Kippur. Unbelievable. And he grew up in an extreme Hasidish home, in the, in the grandchild of one of the biggest G'dayim. The day before Rosh Hashanah, this is going back about 10 years, I got him an appointment by his 80. And I drove him from Flatbush to Bar Park. As I crossed over McDonald Avenue into Bar Park, he saw two Hasidim and he said, Hasidim, I hate those guys. So obviously, he had a tremendous hatred and he was probably abused by people who are Hasidish. Um, who knows what he went through to, for him to be in this level. I brought him and, and we're driving and he tells me, you know, it's interesting because, you know, my grandfather never hugs me. My grandmother never hugs. You know, they don't hug any of their grandchildren because I really respect them. I know they're good people. They're nice to me, but isn't it weird? Who doesn't hug their grandchildren? Because my parents don't hug me because, you know, Hasidim don't hug their kids, but my grandparents, I mean, and he's, I'm looking at this rough, tough kid with a bald head, razor, razor uh, shaven, and he looks like a <laughs> Italian mafia guy and he's huge, and he's talking about Hugs and hugs and hugs and hugs. So anyway, I brought him into his grandfather. I sat down with him for two minutes, and then I said, okay, I'll be back in an hour. And the grandfather gave me a look like, oh, my gosh, an hour. I don't think he was planning on spending an hour with his grandson, who we hadn't seen in several years. And I went into the car, and I called his mother right away, and I said, what's going on with the hugs? So she said, what do you mean? I said, you don't hug your kids? She goes, well, you know, I see them, the, the women don't hug the the boys after 13, the fathers don't hug the girls. But by us, the father doesn't hug the boys also, which I never heard of. Because, but my husband even did one time. Once he did, even in the airport, even in public, you know, when my son came back from Israel with a ponytail even, he hugged him. So that was, you know, he does hug, but that was just one time. I said, what about your father-in-law, the God She said, uh, why don't you ask him? So I said, okay. At the end of the hour, I walked in. And I only had like three seconds to motion to him because I didn't want the kid to see me talking to him. So while they got up and the kid went to the kitchen to wave goodbye to his bubby and she made cookies for him, which was very nice. And then he turned to walk down the hall. So I, I only had like three seconds. And I turned to this guddle and I said, a bank took for a hug. He's yearning for a hug. That's all I had time to say. And then I turned around because the kid was right there. This guddle, now this is godless because I don't know why he doesn't hug his grandchildren, but it's a shita. Obviously, it's thought out. And yet on the spot, he turned around and he sh was shaking and he's short and he started lifting his hand higher and higher towards the kid. The kid didn't know what he wanted. He's going to smack him. He didn't know. He was like shirking away from him. And his grandfather took, him, took his hand, one hand around his head and pulled him down and gave him a kiss on the cheek. And we went out to the car, and maybe believe like I didn't see. And he gets into the car, and he's freaking out. And he's like, my Zadie. My, my Zadie. I said, what happened? He goes, he hugged me. He kissed me. Uh, I, I, I said, really? I thought you said he never does that. I, I, I know. He never did it before. And he was going on and on in shock. In shock. He goes, he hugged me. He, he kissed me. And I drove for about five minutes, and then he was quiet. Ten minutes later, we were on Ocean Parkway at a red light. I'll never forget. The kid turns to me and he says, Avi, what do you think? Maybe I should start keeping Shabbos. Nine years. And I was smart enough to not jump on it and scare him away and say, yeah, of course. And what do I think? Of course I think you should keep Shabbos, you idiot. But I didn't say that. I said, I don't know. It's up to you. But I think if your neshama is telling you something, maybe you should try to listen to it. 
he kept Rosh Hashanah that year, two days, Shabbat Shuvah. He fasted Jim Kippur by Neil. He had tears, tears coming down his cheeks. And then he kept Shabbat again. And then he kept the first days of Sukkot. He kept Shabbat Chalamoy Sukkot. Shmini Atzeres and Simchus Tera, I gave him an Ali and Shul. After a month of total Shmiris, Shabbos, and Yantis. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And then afterwards he fell back to his old ways. I didn't realize that the hug and kiss expires. If I would have known, I should have told his grandfather, I should see him every Rosh Chodesh and get a, another dose. But after he fell, a couple months later, he got himself back up, and then he ended up going there to show, and then he ended up getting married and learning in Kyle. Until today, he's Shem Mitzvah. So I saw, I saw the power, power of a love, love from Azadi. So it's unbelievable. I saw it with my own eyes. And that's what the Nesiva Shalom says. And Nesiva Shalom says that, I give the example, but it's really bringing out his point, that, that if your car battery is dead, you know, you can say to it whatever you want. You can kick it. You can scream at it. That, that's not going to help the car battery that's dead. So what do you do? You get a healthy car with a healthy battery. You open the hoods and you attach the healthy battery to the dead battery until the juice juices it up, until it has chiyos, and the dead battery becomes alive. And that's, that's what we have to do now with neshamas. The neshama is fine, but the, the stuff on top of it, the nefesh that's broken. And the way you do that is because inside you, inside your nefesh, mommy and daddy, grandma and grandpa and baby and bubby and, and everybody, we have a healthy, hopefully, alive chiyos, Neshama, nefesh, and the eyes are the pathway to the soul, and, and it could be done without that also, but the greatest way is to build that relationship through fun and spoiling, so you can actually look in the kid's eyes, because then you have the, the eyes are the pathway to the soul, so your inside, your chiyos, comes out through your eyes and into his eyes, and connects to his corrupt, dead neshama, nefesh, and, and you can jumpstart that dead battery. Now, it's still weak, and you've got to keep on doing it, as I learned from this, from this story where I should have gone brought the kid back every two weeks. I didn't know. Yeah, it won't last forever. It's still a corrupt battery until it gets strong enough to not only be able to exist, but also light up other neshamas, which happens with these kids a lot. They come back, and they get so much schuss, and they do tshuva me'ahavan, and they inspire other people. I mean, there's a reason they go through this. So... We have to find the ways of doing that. Nesiva Shalom says it works telepathically as well. Because Kamayim Apanim Apanim Kain Leva Adam Adam. So it works. It's part of the Bria, this Pasuk. It's not just, a, not just a nice concept. It's real. You could sit and be Ma'ir Elav Ahava Vachem Labli That's what the Nesiva Shalom says. To awaken Ahava Vachem Labli No negativity. The negativity is disconnection. Is the negativity gets in the way of the respirator. The negativity separates the chios between the bat- car battery and the other battery. It's the opposite. Chrachum lish like the ruach says in the sivashalom ula ayr elav ahava v'chemla beligvul ayyosim imoshe kamoshe rachashu adata. So the sivashalom says when you see a child who's acting corrupt, mukhrachum lish like not al hayeled. Doesn't say you got to get a hold of the kid. You've got to get a hold of yourself. You've got to control yourself. You've got to make sure that you don't give up on the child. You've got to believe that he's a chelikul kamimau. 
you got to believe that every Jew is good. The Baal Shem Tov said, Havai, that I would love the greatest tzaddik as much as Hashem loves the greatest Russia. you got to love this kid. you got to love who he is, his essence. As a story with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, that a brother and a sister in law came and they said, Our brother has no shaykhs to Yiddishkeit. And the Rebbe corrected him right away and he said, No shaykhs to Yiddishkeit? He was born a Jew. He is Yiddishkeit. It's who he is. It's his DNA and it's a neshama. And the neshama is covered with sin and filth and pain and layers of dysfunction and pain. And we're going to clean that out with the power of the super nuclear power of Ava. That's what the stipler says. The stipler says that when Shloim HaMelech says, Ki Ava, love is as strong as death. So the stipler asks, what does it mean? And the stipler explains that just like you can't stop death, when it's time to die, when the Malach HaMavas is there, nothing in the world could stop death. Ki Ahava, nothing could stop love. Love is the only thing that's powerful, as powerful, as unstoppable as death. And now we can understand that if kids are dying and killing themselves and wanting to numb their brains with drugs and wanting to die or actually either wanting to die or trying to actually die or, or more, that the only weapon that's strong enough to compete with death is love. And you ruin all of that power by making demands or requests or asking questions, you have to do telepathically. You have to, you have to work on yourself through positivity, connectivity. Like the Ramban says with Kitayad Bepiv, we got to find ways because every drop of, of love and attention and affection and admiration and connectivity that we give them is chemo, is life-saving. Some people say, yeah, but then they're going to be spoiled. It's so foolish. The kid is dying. You don't want to give too much medicine because maybe he'll be spoiled. First, let's have him be alive and stable. And then, first of all, I don't mind having one more spoiled Jew in the world. There's plenty of spoiled Jews. First, let's make him alive and healthy and stable and from. And we'll deal with the spoiled. But second of all, they don't get spoiled. They look back in two years and five years and ten years, and then they start appreciating money when they're healthy. And they start realizing, wow, you did so much for me. How did you do all this for me? Just like a sick person, they appreciate, these kids will appreciate when they're safe and they're stable. And I can tell you they're not spoiled. And I don't mind telling you, yes, they will be spoiled. But it's not the MS because I know these kids, hundreds of them, when they recover, their mom is not spoiled. But now they need. They have no seepuk. They have no satisfaction. We get satisfaction from friends and from life and from laughter and from fun and from being normal and successful and from going to shul and from davening. We connect to Hashem and we have, we have so much drips and they have zero. So they look for satisfaction in the empty bar, in the, in the wells, in the, in the pits. They're looking for satisfaction. I can't exist in my community. So let me find another community where I can be successful, where I go to public school and they smile at me. And it feels good. It feels good when a girl smiles at you. I didn't get that in my yeshiva. I'm not blaming the yeshiva. I'm blaming them. I'm not blaming them. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying the facts are. It is what it is. So I got to have smiles. And I got to feel good about myself. Otherwise, I'm dead. And that's what, they, that's what drives them. So they try this and they try that. And they try. And they, they date a Schwarzer. And then they date a Puerto Rican. And then they date a Mexican. And then they date a Jew, and then they date this, and they date that. And that's part of the whole lost feeling. But as long as we are baking in love, 
baking it in. We're going out of our way. We're driving out of our way. We're spending out of our way. We're focusing out of our way. We don't have money for food. We have someone dying. We don't have money for extras. We got we to gotta save this kid. It's not an extra. It's our kid because they're savable because most of the kids come back. Just yesterday, we had a, a beautiful event where a family came to me three years ago with a girl who I can't even describe to you how bad she was, how many boys and men she slept with, and she was dressed like a, like a prostitute, and she was just, just horrible. And last night, she got engaged. She's completely shamatarmatist. So tzniyas, like a regular Beisakov girl. She davens shachos mincha. She says parakshira every day. She marries the guy engaged in the engagement picture. He has a white shirt and a suit, and he looks handsome and stable. Not a scum at all. And if three years ago you would have told the parents that this is going to be what she looks like, they would have said impossible. It's possible, but you've got to invest everything you have, everything you have into these kids. And you have to, have to realize that you have the power to save them. And if we turn our backs on them, that's the worst thing we can do. And it's a big messiah. It's a really big messiah. We say, Hashem, what are you doing to us? All we wanted is to have from children. All we wanted, we all give up to have children and grandchildren. And we give up and we pay tuition. And it's, it's an Amuna challenge. Why are you doing this to us, Hashem, after everything we went through and everything we do for you? We just want them to be from, and what are you doing to us? And that's a part of the Nisayim, that no, we have to believe that Hashem knows what He's doing, and Hashem wants something else from me, and Hashem wants me to give more love, and Hashem wants me to have more skill. Hashem wants me to love the sinner, just like Hashem loves the sinners. So many people sin, and Hashem stays with them so they can one day become from, or so they can one day become better. But, but, and then they become all high and holy. But, but God was with you and allowed you to, to, to not be on this level. You were once not on this level. And we, what, what if God would cut you off then? Then you never would make it to the other. A lot of people become holier in their lives, whether it's Valley Chuva or whether it's just people becoming much higher when they're 40 or when they're 60, when they're 80. And all of a sudden, yeah, you can't this, and this is not appropriate. And everybody knows. But what were you doing when you were 16 years old? God stuck with you, and we as family have to do what our Messiah is. We never lose a child. It doesn't exist in Yiddishkeit. And it's amazing, because all the big tzaddikim, you would think that they should be kanoim, and they should say, you know, the holier they are, they should say, well, that's it. We don't need them. Get rid of them. And you look at the Chazanish, and you look at the Divrayel, the Satmar Rebbe, and you look at every rabbi and every rav, and they say, no, we don't lose anybody. No tzaddik was willing to be mevater anything. There's a story with the Satmar Rebbe that they came to him. There was a yeshiva with 40 bachrim. 38 of them were amazing and two were Mechal Shabbos. So Ramesh Newhouse went to the Satmar Rebbe and he said, or something like that, it's, it's, brought to, it's printed in the Satmar journal that I have. And he said, listen, we got to get rid of these kids. They're Mechal Shabbos. The Rebbe said, how are the other 38 boys? The Rebbe, the other 38 boys are doing great. They sit, they learn, they dive, and they can't be around that. The Rebbe said, I hear you. They can't be around them. How are they? They're strong, they're stark. Yeah, what are you talking about? These 38 boys are from Eruch, good kids. We can't go, we can't, they can't be around two kids in Mechal Shabbos. The Rebbe said, you're right. You don't throw out the two kids, because they're never going to make it back if you throw them away and you reject them. 
throw out the 38 kids. They'll make it back because you said they're good kids. And you keep the yeshiva for these two kids. Because that was the, the entire way. You're healthy? You can keep Shabbos? Okay, bye. You don't need to be in yeshiva. What do you mean? It's going to be a total... Di- yeah, fine, but you'll keep Shabbos. But we'll have diaries from you. We, can't, we don't have time for extra credit now that you're going to sit and learn today, and you're going to learn and concise while your brother is drowning. They looked at it that if you're fried, you're dead. And therefore, you don't let anybody die. The Chazanish, they went to the Chazanish, and the guy said that the kid is, he was stealing, he was stealing and smoking on Shabbos. Wanted to throw him out of yeshiva. And the Chazanish said no. And they said, what do you mean? How could you say no? He's smoking, he said, because it says to kill somebody, you need a bezin of 23. That's only killing them in, in this world. What you want to do is you want to kill him in this world and in the next world. So you need even much more than 23, a of more than 23. But at least 23, if you have, it's okay. So they said, well, what do you mean? But we can't, but we can't. He said, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying you're only one, and you need 22 other Rabbanim. So the Rebbe said to him, it was the Chazanish's yeshiva, and the, the yeshiva said, okay, so it's either him or me. I'm not going to be in this yeshiva anymore with him. I'm going to quit. And the Chazanish told him, when it comes to killing people, you need a bezin of 23. When it comes to dine mamanis, when it comes to financial matters, you only need yachid mumcha. You only need one expert. I'm a yachid mumcha on dine mamanis, so you're fired. And the guy left. The guy left. And after a few weeks, he, Chazanish went the next morning and he gave the shir. A few weeks later, the guy came back. He was not going to lose I mean, it's amazing. They came to him once. They said that they can't have a boy in yeshiva because he's stealing from the other boys. So the Chazanish said, it's, it's a lav in the Torah. It's very bad. He told them, you, you never do a lav? You never talk Lashonara? So they said, yeah, we talk Lashonara, but we don't steal. He goes, it's the same lav, and you also do lavin. And even if it's worse, but you still don't deserve curries. Throwing a kid out of yeshiva is curries. Rejecting a child from our house is curries. Rejecting a child that he doesn't feel comfortable going to Babi or Zaydi is curries. Even though it's painful. It's, 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 uh, it's doing a DNR. A do not resuscitate on a patient. It's painful. I, I understand. But it's curries. Because the only thing connecting them to the Messiah is parents, family, grandparents who can look at him, at them with pity, with compassion, with Rachmanos, and to go into the Yudgimel Midas the Ebersha has with us, that we live on, that we survive on, and to use the Yudimomid Sarachamim for compassion and understanding. It doesn't say any of the Yudimomidis are, are rules and consequences and, and, and all of that. And how do you supposed how do you know that you're supposed to use the, the, the compassion and mercy part of God and not the Rikhot part of God? Because when it says the Halachta the Drachov, it's a mitzvah say in the Torah to go and be like God, the Medr says how to be like God. And it says to be a Racham and a Chana and a to do the Yud Gimel Midas Racham. It doesn't say to be a Charein Af and to, to, to do that other stuff, because only God can do that. We're not allowed to do that. So every time, every time that you have an option to get upset or frustrated or annoyed, but you decide to be a Racham, you decide to be a Chana and a Racham, Rav Chesed Ve'emes, Rav Chesed, I'll carry your sins, my child. Every time you do that, you can get the same mitzvah say in the Torah as eating matzah on Pesach. The same as shaking lulav. The same as, as putting on tefillin. Every mitzvah say is golden opportunity for us. And we get that when we do the halach to the drachov. And nobody could take that away from you. 
And we have thousands of opportunities with these kids, unfortunately, to do the halakhta bedrachos. Thousands of mitzvahs hasays to go again and have rachmanes and again work on our, and be patient and everlasting and compassionate. It's, a, it's our avodah Hashem. And if we focus on our avodah Hashem, then we will automatically steig and grow to be super compassionate. As the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, to be kind is more important than to be right. Many times what people need is not a brilliant mind that speaks, but a special heart that listens. They don't need advice. They need a heart, a Yiddish heart, a compassionate heart, a genuine heart that, that feels bad for their situation and is there for them. What can I do for you, Shefula? What can I give to you? How can I make your life happier? What can I do to put a smile on your face? That's the avoida of our dar right now. That's what Hashem wants from us. 20 years ago, this didn't exist. 40 years ago, nobody ever heard of this. This is obviously happening to thousands of families for a reason. Hashem wants something for us. Maybe we have so much sin asrinam. Maybe he wants to see a havasrinam to rectify the chet to, in order to earn Mashiach because we're not going to be holier than previous generations. So what does he want from us? Maybe he just wants us to be non-judgmental, accepting and loving just because I don't know what happened to you. I don't need to know. I trust you. I love you. You're my child. You're my grandchild. You're my nephew. You're my niece. You're my cousin. You're my brother. That's what God wants from us. And he can't go wrong with that. The other way doesn't work anyway. The other way, Rechus doesn't work anyway. And here we have so much, so many opportunities of mitzvahs and schusim. And I always say that you have two paths in front of you, if you notice the two ways of dealing with them. One is full of anger, kas, which is ki'ilu avidavadazar, and lashon hara, and rechilos, and negativity, and it eats you up. And I'm gonna, how can I do this to me? And all of that, you can live a year, two, five, ten years in negativity. And I don't believe that's a terrible way. But even if it would be, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible life. For you. I'm not talking about for him. You look at the other way of kirov and love and compassion and being a rachum and turning into a, an unlimited giving person who can tolerate unlimited tolerance. I, I'm never going to look at this kid and be like, I can't look at him. I don't care if he gets a tattoo. I don't care if he gets a hundred tattoos. If Nebuch, that's where his life is, there's nothing he's going to do that's going to make me look away from him because there's nothing he can do to turn off my love and connection to him. It's unlimited, like Hashem's love to us is a habasha'in, it's bedavar. It does not depend on anything. And, I don't, and I'm not judging you because I don't know you. I don't know what happened to this kid. But if he's acting this way, there's a reason because he's really be'etzem He's a good kid. He's a nice boy. And if you're acting so terrible, it's not bad midos. I'm not going to interpret what you do as being bad midos or inconsiderate or disrespectful. I'm going to throw all that negativity out. And I'm going to define what you do that you're good. Which my, uh, this is not just an exercise of, of whatever, just to, which would be enough, or should make you do that anyway. But I'm telling you, it's really the truth. After working with so many kids for so they are good. They're messed up and sick, physically, emotionally, spiritually, yes. Bad? Not at all. And if you look at them as, as good, they'll become good on the outside. They'll become They'll give you that nachas, but you have to have a lot of patience, and you got to never stop showering them with unlimited doses of love. This is Avi Fischoff, and I can be reached at twistedparenting at AOL.com.